0: Hi, it's Dion here from Race Reflections. You're listening to Race Reflections at Work. At Work, as the name suggests, focuses on inequality, injustice and oppression at work and is solution-focused. You can find Race Reflections at Work wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Race Reflections at Work or proposed topics or dilemmas for the podcast, you can head to the website racereflections.co.uk forward slash at work the podcast and fill in the form or you can email us using at work at racereflections.co.uk. So let's get into it. I'm work currently for Race Reflections as we all know. on the engagement and comms lead but I've been thinking in recent weeks about my experiences in the corporate world, if you want to call it that, or in different industries, particularly the term we know as misogynoir. Now, I'm no expert, and I just want to make that disclaimer to start off the episode, but as a Black woman, I feel like it's something I'd like to explore more deeply, and maybe it's something we can even talk up in more detail with Ghislaine in a later episode. I think she has touched on this topic slightly. I wanted to just draw on some personal experiences and really reflect on the position we have or the power we have and the question of whether we do have power and what we do with it as Black women in the workplace to try and navigate these experiences and process them whilst navigating this feeling of being weathered and effectively worn down. So I'm going to start with just introducing the term a little bit for those that are maybe not 100% sure, but misogynoir recognises the specific type of discrimination black women face. And although it's been occurring for centuries, as we know, it was only given a name in 2010 by queer black feminist Moya Bailey. Now the term is grounded in intersectionality and misogynoir as a term, I guess, has grown massively in recent years in terms of interest, in terms of academic rhetoric, lots of theory, journal articles being populated around it. And in fact, That's where I'm going to start today, in the theory. As a sociologist, I'm always interested to know what things are being said about some of these terms and how they relate to the people that experience living them day to day. So there was a book review in the Journal of Communication Inquiry about Moya Bailey's book, which was the cornerstone of this term, misogynoir transformed black women's digital resistance. The book review that is done by Manfred Kofi and Tui Asaman, and I will put the citation in the podcast notes he explained that moya bailey argues the media radio television and print through popular culture have traditionally been the tools used by society in general and cis heterosexual men to abuse and misrepresent cis queer and trans black women without these women having a means to fight back also rather of Brick View goes on to say that unlike similar works in the field, such as Darian Smith's 2016 analysis of the representations of women in media, misogynoir transformed does not focus on how new and traditional media create and spread misogynoir, but rather analyzes and puts into perspective how black women, the main victims of misogynoir, have seen opportunity in and taken advantage of their access to new digital and social media to create counter content and form alliances which help them navigate and fight back against misogynoir and the people who perpetuate it. Now, I don't disagree you know we have our very own example in house with Ghislaine Kinwani who uses Twitter as a platform for advocation for social change for disruption that is what we do here at Race Reflections and it is very clear with influencers within the black community that are coming up and using their platform for things such as challenging fat phobia and fat shaming for misogynoir for homophobia challenging all of these things using social media as a platform but my concern or my is how do Black women that are within, let's say, the corporate world, or who are just simply not interested or not confident in utilising social media and media platforms in general as a way to speak out, how do we navigate whilst we're in what I would consider to be a traditional workplace? Now, I've worked in a number of public and private sector settings, and I do have to say that the majority of my experiences within those spaces has been predominantly. Positive, although there's still a lot of argument to say that white women can still be incredibly toxic within the workplace, especially if they are your managers or leaders. But I have felt that the relationship has been somewhat more proportionate when I've had a white female manager as opposed to a white male manager. The particular things that I've experienced, I think, are talked up very well in another article I was reading that basically explains. In a recent LinkedIn survey, black women that were working for corporate were asked their experiences basically about being one of the few black women or black people in the room and some of the challenges they were facing navigating the corporate environment. And the statistics are quite big, although not shocking. The study found that 47% of black women had experienced racial and gender bias at work. 12% had experienced loneliness and mental health issues. 29% had experienced challenges around recognition and salary increase. 17% felt there was a lack of opportunities to progress up the ladder. And the thing is that all of these are familiar to me. Comments and microaggressions regarding how I'm dressed or how I've styled my hair. Things that were passed off as jokes about lyrics from songs by black artists that I should definitely know those kind of things I remember one particular incident in a team meeting where I wrongly or rightly assumed that the space was the safest space to air concerns As a team member about the dynamic of the team and some of the challenges we were facing in terms of workload, I also wasn't the only person in the team meeting to speak about those issues. However, it was only myself that was singled out and asked to stay after the team meeting had ended and was effectively reprimanded by my team leader, a white male at the time, about the tone of my voice, about the appropriateness of what I had addressed in the meeting and it not being the correct space to do so. And ultimately, when I had asked my manager at the time what the right space was. They simply told me that it was something that could be taken up if I basically asked for a personal one-to-one meeting. My question was, but it relates to the team. So surely the team have the right to be involved and understand a little bit more about what is going on and the challenges we're facing. Because if you have to explain it once, you're going to have to explain it 20 times then for everybody that's on the team. So would it not prove to be more beneficial to talk more widely in the group apparently not was the outcome of that and it was just one of many occasions where the power balance was reaffirmed if that's how you'd like to term it by the manager just kind of letting me know effectively the place or the position he felt I should take Now, one of the side effects of experiencing misogynoir in the workplace is the implications to our mental health, and the implications to our physical health as well. Recently, Race Reflections delivered a series of free webinars. We are about to relaunch on the 22nd of April. And as part of that, we wanted to allow non members to gain insight into what we do and how. And I spoke about parenting or being a parent whilst being Black and what that looks like and the effects at its core of time time is age, you know, time is like a luxury, And how time affects us as parents, particularly being parents that are black and brown, and how we experience our parenting role, the effects of the lack of time that maybe we have disproportionately to white people, and how that affects our children's growth, their experiences of trauma, vicarious trauma, or experiencing it firsthand. And something else that I've recently read talks about the allostatic load. And so, basically, the effects of what we're experiencing being measured to quantify the accumulation of chronic stress related to health effects in the body you know the body is an amazing thing it's always trying to maintain balance and it's always trying to kind of buffer for us the incidents that induce stress but when we spend, let's say, 60, 70 percent of our time in the workplace, how effective does our body and our brain then become with managing stress responses? And, you know, how likely are we to be in that heightened state of stress? So at the high levels of cortisol that make us decide whether we're going to fight or fly or run away from something when we're dealing with it. It can affect everybody's body. We know that, but black people have a higher allostatic load score. It's been proven according to research published in the Journal of National Medical Association. And, you know, I would bet that the implications of that are rooted in the racism we experience so not only in our day-to-day interactions but in our workplace where we're trying to model or emulate whatever this ideal or perfect employee is whilst also dealing with these additional social cues these negative occurrences in the workplace and the massive effect they would have on us and so in terms of that time the time we spend at work The time we then spend outside of work having high levels of depression or anxiety, migraines, heart disease, hypertension, the daily occurrence of microaggressions we're experiencing have, we know, a residual effect and then as a byproduct create intergenerational trauma. And so for me, it was something that I started to really realise was taking a toll, not only because of the nature of the job that I was doing, but also when I became a parent, I knew that there was only so much that I could take being in that workplace. And I needed to really change the environment and be in a place that felt safe to me. I think it's so crucial to try and give your children the best of you. And of course, no, it cannot happen all the time, but I knew that it would happen a lot less if I stayed in an environment that was causing me harm. There is an article about the trauma experienced by Black women in in corporate. It's the same article that cited the statistics of 12% of Black women in the workplace experiencing loneliness and mental health issues, and 47% of Black women experiencing racial and gender bias at work. And they kind of suggest or they recommend at the end of the article, three phases of coping with misogynoir. They talk about raising awareness and that the issues continue to exist and that we're constantly having to fight prejudice directed towards us. Anti-racism education, which we know should explore misogynoir and others need to listen more to the experiences of Black women. But I feel like, again, this is something that can ultimately cause harm in another team meeting. Somebody expressed recently that they were feeling or they had felt in previous workplaces that they were highlighted or used as the measuring stick or the person that would be the go-to point of reference regarding any issues to do with race. I really have a an issue with companies or organisations that put that kind of pressure on their employees and particularly employees of colour to wave the flag of everything that is right or correct to do in response to being seen or perceived as anti-racism and really taking into consideration what they're doing for the organisation to move forward. Yes, the voices of marginalised people are incredibly important, but no, the load should not be on the shoulders of the marginalised group alone. And this, for me, is something I see and hear about so often. So the raising awareness, coping strategy of dealing or navigating misogyny around the workplace yes is important but this for me makes the point that it's even more crucial for organizations to look outwardly when seeking expertise and support training guidance around their equality and diversity missions so that the toll isn't bearing so heavily on people belonging to marginalized groups that are their employees The second coping strategy that they suggest is containment. Just this idea of being able to vent and get how you're feeling off your chest can be beneficial. We know that when it's come to a point that our experiences are creating trauma for us, when they are creating tensions at home, outside of work, and when we feel like, Maybe we need the intervention of a professional. How likely is it that we will be able to access the support of a specialist that understands the specific implications and trauma of a Black woman? We know that Black therapists are few and far between. Yet speaking to family members and friends, maybe in the first instance that have faced something similar can definitely help. It's something that I do. I speak regularly to my cousins, my sister, as a form of catharsis in terms of trying to just feel like I can be my truest self and I can be upset in that space and I can get some solutions. And then the third is validation. And it's a key part of the process, they say, to help cope with the challenges we face around self-esteem and imposter syndrome. This is something that I dealt with for a long, long, long time. Just the worthiness of being in particular spaces. When we don't feel validated, it can have a real impact on our mental health and our well-being there's an increased risk that you find yourself less willing to trust those around you and having your feelings validated by yourself or those close to you can help you reconnect. I absolutely agree with this point because joining Race Reflections for me was an absolute game changer. i had already embarked on a journey of self-discovery where I had undertaken or invested in some work around confidence and wellbeing. I was already resilient, but somebody made the point to me the other day about resilience just being evidence of the amount of times you've had to bounce back from trauma, which I think is a very valid point. And so I don't feel like resilience is necessarily always a badge of honour to wear. There is definitely room for softness, which we are not always afforded as black women. And I've definitely worked on over the last couple of years, allowing this softness to come through. But knowing that I'm doing it in the safety of a space that allows me to be authentic. I wonder how many women are going through these things. In the UK, I wonder what the international differences are across Europe and then in the US. We know that a lot of things are proportionately more intense, worse, magnified in the US, but also that maybe they are more forward-thinking in terms of the Black members of the community, Black academics that are speaking, and more kind of recognised in these areas of challenging some of these stereotypes and these tropes that we face in the workplace there is a big part to play for HR teams and managers because they first need to be aware of misogynoir to begin with in order to try and address it and see how it plays out in the workplace and it's often through these series of microaggressions which can be much harder to recognize I mentioned before things that were dressed up as harmless jokes talking about hair or asking to touch it and any kind of emotion being shown by a black woman in the workplace being auto. Automatically counted as anger and all of these things cause harm in the workplace and for me I would like to really think about how we push forward how we pass responsibility to HR teams within the corporate space to recognize and reprimand people that are carrying out these acts of harm and again this comes back to the understanding of anti-racism practice and the responsibility organisations are willing to take on their shoulders to protect and support employees. I really don't know what the answer is. The choice for me was to leave the corporate world and to build my own business. And to an extent, I feel like I have been afforded a lot of protection and safety in doing that mainly because I get to choose who I work with and who I engage with. But for those that maybe aren't in a position to go and work for themselves and are stuck very much in a system or a place that doesn't value them, doesn't recognise them, and continues to load them with the burden of navigating misogyny in the workplace. How do we survive? How do we move forward? How do we continue to get by? And when does it become enough of just getting by and actually wanting to live, you know, and radically cause disruption and change? And I feel like this is definitely something we can circle back to. I don't think it's going to be answered today but it's definitely something I'm going to continue to think on and maybe circle back with a bit more of a conversation in detail with some of the members of the team so again you're listening to Deal and the engagement Lead at race reflections this episode has been misogynoir at work and thank you for your time and for listening we always welcome people's dilemmas so please do send them to at work at racereflections.co.uk and we hope to catch you real soon at some of the upcoming community events